Okay. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Adoptees podcast. So today I'm delighted to be joined by Jenny, Jenny Alpert. She's also known um, she's also known uh, as her birth name, Cammy, And uh, she is uh, a fellow adoptee and uh, just like a ball of energy. I've only spent a couple of minutes with her. But, um, I can see this is going to be great fun and fast and furious, right? So uh, into it. Welcome to the show, Jenny. Thank you so much. I really appreciate being here. Yeah. So you came up with this title, right? And I'm just going to use the first three words of the title, right? Resilience in reunion. So why did you pick that? Why did you why did you start your title with resilience in reunion? The reason I thought of that is because as an adoptee who was also in the foster care system until I was 4, Yet I was adopted into a very stable, loving family, although I wasn't like them. I just was taken in by them. I didn't grow up with a, um, a, a sense of anger, frustration, or loss. Like some other adoptee stories I've heard about. However, I did have to navigate through a lot of disassociation that I didn't realize existed until... I learned what that was. And um, though I've always had a very positive survival instinct spin on anything, I think it was about six years ago now when I decided to go and look for my living birth family member who was my birth father, when I discovered he was actually alive and he was the only one alive um, between my birth mother and father at that time. And I really wanted to connect some dots in terms of like where I came from and, you know, who he was. I knew a little bit because my court case for adoption was quite open. So there was a lot of detail, but there was certain things that weren't um, detailed yet. Um, what I came to discover upon our reunion. <gasps> sorry. We, I, we, there's some, we, we have dogs as well. It's totally okay, Jenny. Sorry. What I came to discover upon our reunion was that we both shared this sense of resilience. Um, so I decided to choose resilience in reunion um, as a staple for the positioning that I feel I can share and contribute to the adoptee world as an adoptee voice that um, for us, our uniqueness is that we had a sense of resilience in our partnership. Yeah. Wow. Can I take you a bit of back a, a, a couple of um, a couple of sentences, a couple of minutes? You said navigating dissociation, um, and that was like, oh, that's interesting. So what, what do you mean by that? So a lot of my youth growing up with this beautiful family that adopted me at age four, when I finally got a forever home, because I was in several homes before that due to the nature of my adoption and the reason for it. I think a lot of things took place, especially in the early childhood development stages of just becoming like a, a human in this era on this planet, that um, once I ended up in a forever home and sort of, you know, tried to fit in or, you know, there, there's another adoptee that talks about the, the, the idea of adopt, adop, um, the idea of uh, auditioning for a family and kind of fitting in. Um, I just always used any skill set that I had to fit in. But 
in moments of disarray or discord or challenge or emotional stress, I wasn't really present. I was just there and didn't even really fully understand that until I later when I wanted to establish relationships and intimacy, friendships, a partnership, a, you know, some kind of romantic connection, I really didn't how to do that. And so because I didn't know how to do that, um, it, there was what is called disassociation. And I discovered what disassociation meant backwards, like in the aftermath of kind of working with professionals throughout my college years, my adolescence and college years to try to kind of connect the dots as to why I was standing in a room, but not really able to like fully gather my own person in there. And it really wasn't until much, much later um, through my process of intellectualization of really understanding so many, the multitude of facets of like how we become who we are. Um, when I found and met my birth father, and then ultimately we created this partnership once um, in the field, navigating and really understanding that he was um, who he was and that he was a safe, compatible person for my life at the time. Ultimately, I adopted him into my world and became his advocate and shadow. And in doing that for five years, this hole that I did have um, which wasn't this angry, I'm upset and, you know, disappointed at my life, but it was just this sort of emptiness that lingered all through my life, really filled up. And, and what I discovered throughout the five years of our incredible, like profound reunion and relationship before Don passed away is that um, the, 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 the invitation to love someone and to be loved and to be recognized and seen the way that you really in your heart feel that you are. Um, and there to be like a consistent collaboration and really, um, you know, when two people really are compatible and see each other and reflect this sense of love and understanding and desire to be with each other, even despite the harder days or whatever, um, that filled such a gap for me. And it just reinforced for me um, an extra set of confidence and um, comfort. And I'm just really going to be forever appreciative of that because what Don gifted me in our five years was an extra layer of love that I'm going to always forever carry gratitude for. Yeah. So was the whole already being filled and Don kind of turbocharged the, the filling of the hole or what? I think that um, over the course of my, I'd say the college years, cause I kind of think of things in terms of decade. <laughs> I just, I love history and like everything. Um, I feel like there was a huge piece of my journey where I wanted to self-reflect and self-improve and understand because as a survivor or a um, resilient being, I wanted to have relationships and I wanted to have positive, loving, honest, disarmed connections. And I have always kind of wanted everyone to be family, whoever they were, everyone. And um, so I did a lot of, um, you know, 
work, I guess, if we call it that, like in the psychology area or self-help area, or just, just working really hard. A lot of times um, the catalyst would be a relationship not working or a job I really thought I would be a fit for didn't work, or just a huge discord that was just too emotionally difficult for me to let go of. And those would be the catalyst moments where I'd want to self-improve and just really discover like, what is it about my wiring, um, nature versus nurture, whichever it is, that's, um, that's sustaining this difficulty. And how can I, I call it the belt of tools. I wrote a memoir um, at the very end of Don's life, mostly myself, but with him involved. And there's one chapter called the belt of tools. And what I talk about there is all of the moments prior to finding Don that led up to um, the minute we met that created like the story of our life. And there were all these tools that life granted me to collect in my belt of tools that then once I saw Don, I was like, oh, I get it. This is where I'm gonna use those tools. But I think that's not the only context a belt of tools would help us. So I feel that a lot of um, my adolescence and, and college years were, were building this belt of tools also for myself. There was, um, there was always a whole, um, where I just felt displaced. I, I, and when I was younger, it was much larger. And I think, I don't know if it was because it was closer to when I was actually finally placed into a forever home and, 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 you know, meeting all of my family and, and trying to build relationships with them and intimacy and connecting with them. But we have such different ways of doing that, different attachment styles, different relating styles, different interests that I, I really felt like a black sheep and also very grateful. I had a roof over my head. My parents gave me lessons of every kind, education. Um, my birth mother's lineage is of Jewish descent. Part of that, um, the nature of our culture in that realm is that education is really important. And my birth grandfather on my mother's side intended that I be adopted to a Jewish family to carry on that legacy. Though I never met my birth maternal relatives in the nucleus, I did meet cousins before Dawn. So I had a good understanding of the maternal side first, um, but it was a different kind of meeting a person who invent, I call Dawn the inventor of me. So my birth father like made me, right? So it's very different meeting somebody that's like, you're, an, you're that's still living, you're an extension of them right then and there, that next layer. Um, cousins also though felt very familial and, and connective, but um, so yeah, in the beginning, I think I would fill the whole my best myself with those belts of tools in terms of loving oneself, accepting oneself, self-discovery. Um, but again, I did not arrive on this planet with a sense of resentment or anger or feeling like I had been thrown away. I never, ever had or harbored negative energy to my birth mother for her story and my birth father for his. And I don't know why that is, but I would love to say I'd attribute it to when you're in the womb, you may still hear, feel, sense kinetic energy, which is part of what makes you the being that you become besides whatever the neshama, the soul, the spirit is that we are as we are conceived, as we're all discovering in this universe, what is the answer? We don't know. Um, so then when I'm born, I don't think that I was just this innocent baby that doesn't know anything. I truly feel that there was such jarring moments from the very beginning of being birthed, a policeman taking me away, putting me into an emergency foster care, changing my name from 
of what, you know, they were calling me baby girl. And then the foster care system put Jennifer, but my real name was supposed to be Cameron because that's what my birth mother wanted for me, which is why later in life, when I went undercover in the field to find Don, because what I did know was that he was homeless and had been using drugs most of his life as a way to self-medicate. And I'd been in and out of jails and prisons as a part of the lifestyle to sustain his passion for doing drugs and living outside to get fresh air and discovered through time why he was this way, which is really an interesting piece for later. Why? Um, and I've always been an open book and an open heart. And like I said, the belt of tools, I'd worked with those experiencing homeless, homelessness before Dawn. I'd worked, I wrote a correctional um, program for, um, for, for men in the correctional facility and jails. So I'd already worked with uh, that demographic. I'd worked with foster care. I'd worked with prostitute youth who were taken off the street. So I had had like a lot of hands-on social service skill set to apply to Don. So I didn't just like go in undercover where he was homeless. Once a private investigator helped me find him just like, oh, I'm looking for somebody to love. It really wasn't like that. I was looking for an extension of the pieces that were myself. I just wanted to meet a person. And what turned out was this incredible, profound, like savant that inspired me. And together we created this unconditional love partnership that's very unusual. And the fact that he chose to stop using drugs on his own and wanted me to become his advocate. And, and the fact that I discovered he was a musician right then which was a huge connecting piece because my adoptive family, nothing was about music there, except they liked music and they definitely gave me all the tools to learn it. There was a hole was filled on a lot of levels um, because of the connectivity that Don and I had and the fact that we were sort of like these, like a soul twin flame. Um, but I would like to note before we move on to the next topic or wherever you'd like this to go is just that none of this was in, it, like, instead of my loving adoptive family. This was like the way I see it. It was a building block to make a fuller, wholer me to be able to give to the world and be of service to the world more than before with my experience and you know my, my, that whole sort of being filled from lots of different areas now. Yeah. So just, I wanna go back over that really. Um, so to try and draw it together. Um, so it, it sounds like you were kind of an, a, a very similar to me in terms of the, um, the self-improvement stuff. I've done a lot in that, in that space. So it sounds like to me that, because probably this is what I did as well, right? That you were kind of tinkering around at the edges. The self-improvement stuff was just playing around at the edges. It didn't really get to the heart of the matter. However, it did it, it did give you some new tools. It did give you some tools, but um, Don was the one that, uh, that the connection with Don was such that that was the, uh, the catalyst for putting all those tools into action. Would that? Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, that's about right. And he was also, um, I feel like he was also not the final stop of my life journey, but sort of like, you know, if you're running a race and you're, there's like flag points of like the development of getting to like, you know, as you're running through the race of your life, 
I feel like Dawn was the, the moment where I was able to get this huge jug of water. You know, like I had my adoptive family at the beginning of the race cheering me on, go on that race. You've done all of this. Yes, yes, go on that race. We bought you the shoes. You know, we got you everything. And now you're going on the race. Go on the race. This is great. You know, and then I'm running through the race and then I'm meeting all these other people. Some of them, I actually trip over them or like I'm not up to them or I'm, you know, I'm trying to keep in the race or whatever. And we're all kind of on this journey. And then at this one pivotal moment, I meet my birth father and there's like this huge jug of the most incredible, thrilling filtered seven times jug of water, you know? And it's like, oh my, and, and the funny thing about it is, is everyone told me, oh, don't find that guy. Like from what we know in the court papers, you know, he, he, he's some drug addict that, you know, has been in and out of jails and prisons and, um, you know, whatever, like you don't want to meet him. And I was like, whatever, like, what do you mean? I want to meet everybody. Like, I want to give everybody a chance. It's not like I'm going to search for a parent that I never had and try to find this love that I need. It really wasn't like that. I just wanted to meet a human being and figure out who this human being was and where I came from. It was very that it was that light. It's just that when I went in the field and when I say undercover, I literally mean I dressed down. I identified as my birth name, Cammie, and didn't talk about my legal history of my birth, my legal name, Jenny Alpert, which is also my artist and music name. Um, because if anyone were to want to Google that, I mean, they can see I've toured and played in England and um, Scotland and Ireland and Italy and, and France and all over and the US and Australia. And I, not that I have a huge, huge career of any sort of the matter, but I have a history online that's easy to find. And if, you know, if there is somebody who is an active drug addict who may not be high functioning on the mental wellness spectrum, you can't predict whatsoever what they may want from you or how they'll get it. So I had a, what I would have called like a protected cloak of way before what happened where Don and I, he just wanted some love, I think. I think we just together, actually, I don't even know if I would say it that way because he wasn't a person looking for love and wanting love. I just think that when he saw me, the first words out of his mouth when I was carted back to this alleyway connected to a specific dwelling where he was getting his mail, that's kind of how the private investigator had helped me navigate where he might frequent because he was mostly living in bushes and not your average, here's a tent in the middle of the street with a bunch of trash kind of um, person experiencing homelessness. Rather, he was more of like a vagabond choosing homelessness in creative solution solving ways in order to survive with what he was granted on this earth the best that he could. And that is the thing that really inspired me in studying him because I felt we were very similar in our dichotomous ways, we were very similar. Like we were just like the, the opposite sides of the same coin, which is really profound to me. Um, yeah, so uh, yes. Yeah, so what you just said, summarizing it is is right. And I just, um, uh, yeah, that's about it. <laughs> yeah, what does the word resilience mean to you, Jenny? It means despite all odds, challenges, um, disappointments, difficulty, negative framing, despite 
our survival instincts, the poor choices we might make to achieve what we need at the time, despite the hurts, despite the losses, despite the, the anything that wouldn't necessarily surmount to positivity and stability, there is a sense of resilience anyway that carry us above anything that's difficult and challenging. And I think that Don and I had that element to our core before we knew each other. And that wouldn't be surprising because we're cut from the same cloth. But I think that in our reunion, in our partnership, where he allowed me to be his advocate, and that, that meant I helped assist him once he decided to turn himself in because he was running from the law and using drugs and sleeping outside when I met him. I spent three weeks undercover in the field with him doing all sorts of really interesting activities and taking notes, interviewing him, talking to him, telling him that's what I was doing. Um, I called it, it working in the field. Um, and I called it, we would do these family fun field trip adventures to discover what Don liked and what connected to him besides the music, which was the most obvious. We read children's books so I could see how he learned. We went to a library, we went to a museum, we went to a music event. We went to a sober living home event. I just wanted to see and learn him and learn what he was comfortable with, what inspired him, what scared him, what whatever. And it was a very interesting three weeks. He decided to turn himself in for a safer relationship with me. I wrote him three letters every few days until he was released. Um, when I assimilated him from indoors, I'm sorry, when I assimilated him from outdoors to indoors during those three weeks, because he never had a room of his own, except for in jails and prisons and boys' homes. Um, he really didn't have any space like that most of his life because he grew up in a hoarded situation with lots of people and, and drug addicts already mirroring this possibility for him. So I blindfolded him so he didn't know where I lived so that he could always come into my world, but by my own volition of invitation. And that, that happened for about two, two and a half to three years of our five-year reunion by his agreement. It was sort of like our fun little partnership joke that, well, if you ever want to go back out to your world and do drugs, and just, if you're ever tired of this, you can take that blindfold off and walk away. And I will always come and visit you as you are, because who you are, and as you are exactly how you want to be, I still will love you for that. But if you want to come into my world, I want to have a protective cloak here so that you can't just come back at any time you want to, if you choose to do drugs again, and who knows what happens because a person on heroin is a different person altogether than a person who's not using. And he knew that I knew that, and we understood that. Um, so yeah, so I, I, um, resilience to me is the fact that in our partnership together, not only individually did we have that as a strength, but together he ultimately Honestly, in the five years we were together after we got him social services and mental health support. Um, and when I say mental health support, I don't mean therapists and psychiatrists and medicine. I mean, in a safe way with me, I created Don's Place, Safe Space Don's Place, which was a portable little space. And I supported what he felt comfortable with in terms of exploring what made him feel safe. And I reinforced that. Um, he also got health care and all these things. And I just basically was his shadow. Um, and if you're familiar with that, or if any listener is familiar with that, because this is kind of radical, um, at least here in the U.S., we have programs for high-functioning adults um, on the mental wellness spectrum. That's what I call it. 
or um, for autism or Asperger or, or the combination of both as they now have combined it, um, there are these um, people that are trained as shadows. I happen to have been trained like randomly when I studied at UCLA and it was a side note thing, not intended, but it was, it's basically somebody who's not a therapist. They're not, um, they're not a vocational worker necessarily, they're not a social worker really. And they're, 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 um, but what they are is they are a person that's in the room with another person that social, that guides their social skills and redirects them if they're overwhelmed or if they struggle with um, a certain set of social skills that they may not have either had developed or had been introduced to, to those tools. And so I just used that experience of learning how to do that for autistic youth and adults and applied those skill sets to Don. Um, and it helped him have an extra set of confidence because he never used phones, computers. He didn't have the attention span to stand in line at, at, at any, to get help for like food stamps or, you know, general relief, let alone fill out applications for social security. And then all of this government support like that never, ever, that, there was a reason he lived his life the way he did. It was how he knew how to do it. So resilience um, to summarize again, I think ultimately resilience in reunion is that we became like a partnership of resilience together. And ultimately in our family fun field trip adventures where I would shadow him, not only through helping him get stability and security, but helping him join me as a volunteer for those experiencing homelessness or those in, in, a, in adoption, looking for their birth family members and hoping to connect, but not knowing how, or birth parents who lost their children or had to give their children up or um, foster children. We spoke and performed as volunteers for most of our partnership to all of these different nonprofits and organizations as a team and performed um, to share our story. And I think that ultimately that pivoted John's perspective of himself that and the way I see it is he was a self-defined vagrant. And then together in our partnership, this resilience in reunion helped him transform into a self-esteemed volunteer. And he helped me just the same, um, but in a different kind of way where we both had this element of resilience in reunion. So I know we're unique and very lucky. And I appreciate you letting me share this because I know it's different, very different than a lot of listeners um, that may be coming to hear your podcast today. I know that we have a unique, rare story and it's not all, you know, roses and flowers and, and hearts and love for everyone. I, I definitely know that. Yeah. As you say, you know, it, it is a very particular, a very particular story. I, I'm just wondering, you know, adoptees listening, fellow adoptees listening to this, um, you know, navigating their own reunion journey, right? Um, what, what, what can you, what lessons can you draw out of your your journey that? that you'd like to share with, uh, with the listeners? Sure. Um, one thing I did want to note that I forgot to share with you prior to starting this is on, on YouTube, I have a channel I started, which was entitled Cammy and Don, the biological duo. Cause that's how we, we 
kind of entered the world together. I, I, I resumed my birth name only in the context of with Dawn. And then I was my adopted name with my mom, Jill. And um, it just sort of worked out that I realized that names are how other people identify themselves with us. But on that YouTube channel, there is a small snippet of Don talking because before he passed away, because his liver gave out, which was par for the course, we knew we were on borrowed time. And as the end was nearing, I was I, the whole time with his permission, I was very much wanting to record a lot of things he said, conversations we had, taking millions of pictures, sharing our journey, just sharing my like heart with how amazing Don was for me. And I do feel that a lot of people were jumping on the bandwagon and, and, and following our journey. Um, a short documentary that's also online was made called Homeless the Soundtrack that kind of gives you a little visual nugget. But on the YouTube channel, I have lots of video blogs and in one in particular, um, I call it Dawn's Take Snippets for Adoptees um, about reunions because towards the end of his life, we were in the car and I asked him, hey, Don, what would you say to adoptees who are looking for their birth family members? What would you say um, you know, to them? And I don't wanna speak his words. I don't know if there's a way, if you edit this, you wanna throw in that audio or we can share it on social or when I share this podcast, I'll add that link or however we wanna do it. Um, but I, I wanted to kind of add in Don's voice here because, um, I think one of the biggest lessons, which I already kind of feel I take into my life anyway, as an open heart and open mind and interested, curious person who wants to find common ground and understanding, despite any discord, I still search for the one nugget that keeps us together rather than just saying F all this isn't working. I'm not getting what I want. I'm not getting what I need or my feelings are hurt. Or what about me? Like those narratives aren't really mine. So I'm coming to the table already from a quite open hearted, open minded, positive place. And I don't know that 20 years ago at one of my hardest, most painful moments, I could have been that person. Um, hundred percent because sometimes I was more upset when coming into a situation and trying to process from a hurtful place is harder I find than now. Um, so one of the lessons that um, really stands out for me is how many people shifted their own paradigm of perspective once they were invited to participate in either observing or actually being with Don and I during different chapters of our reunion story. They, they shifted the framework of how they saw somebody who was experiencing homelessness, how they saw somebody who didn't have teeth, how they saw somebody who was an addict, hardcore, heavy, uh, in prisons and jails for a very long time in and out somebody who was, I would say, institutionalized and treated as such, but yet was this brilliant savant chess playing, guitar playing, mathematician, just articulate, beautiful person that once he was put in a different context, 
with tools and support and redirection, he became another aspect of his true self that people got to meet. And I'm so grateful that the world was willing to open up to that because most of the time people won't do that, you know, and, and it's no one's fault. I mean, addicts generally have a history of not changing, not stopping, not being able to not hurt people because the heroin is very much an overwhelming beast. But I became the heroine, if you will, in the sense that um, I was able to allow Don a safe space to be himself while he had already chosen to stop using the hard drugs. So we were very unique in that. Um, but uh, that's the biggest lesson is to persevere um, despite other people's fear, projection, judgment, experience, valid reasoning, but to persevere with your own open mind, open heart and story to discover what's meant for you to experience, explore and become. And not everyone's going to love it. Not everyone's going to connect. It's not going to be for everyone. Um, but you just don't know the unknown. The other thing I think that's really important to note, though, <clears throat> is this story wouldn't happen with everyone. And it's not the model end all be all at all. Obviously, we know this because it's rare. But Don represented the paternal biological male component to an adoptee, which was also challenging because there weren't a lot of biological father roles in a lot of the adoption, birth parent, biological reunion, nonprofit groups that were meeting. Um, we were invited by Celia Center, which is a nonprofit here in California by Jeanette Yoff. Um, initially I was a performer as an adoptee voice and then Don was with me and he was now my birth father. So now we were this in reunion story. And then eventually I started helping, uh, Jeanette with her social media and really helping with her mission, uh, meeting Brian Stanton with his wonderful story and eventually composing music for his most recent film play, um, about him finding, discovering who his birth father was very special story. Um, and meeting other people, Jeff Forney, who is working on a documentary now that Don and I were privileged to be interviewed for um, in terms of the reunion process and how different everybody's stories become and how the commonality is the search for the self. And we all have that, you know, human nature piece. Um, but that, those are lessons, I think. Um, another lesson I would say is, you know, no one can prepare you for the loss any loss, whether it's a loss that when you look for your birth relatives and they are not interested or they're not available or they're not capable of bringing you into their world or they just don't want to. And there's a reason we are not prepared for that pain. Already coming into the world where our path has been shifted to another storyline. It's very rare to find an adoptee who feels so set and stable in who they are and what they are and how their life is from the get-go. Even the ones like my, I have a brother who was adopted as a baby who always was steadfast in his identity. My mom who adopted us, my parents, but my mom, especially it was his mom. She's my mom. There was really no 
biological past for my brother until later when he got um, an opportunity to have his own children. And then he became curious and eventually I helped him navigate that missing link, that missing piece of just discovering where he came from. And his story is kind of really interesting (laughs) because it's very similar to mine with Dawn. It's like six degrees of separation. We kind of were on the same street corners in different places at the same time. So it's just really funny to to think about that. Um, And then the other lesson besides being open-hearted, allowing things to unfold, not operating on assumptions, projections, and fears. um, I think for me, having done the self healing identification work before finding Dawn definitely helped me because that was the order that things unfolded. I had not only a belt of tools, but a real open perspective on so many things. I wasn't operating from a place of hurt or a place of needing to fill that hole. I was operating on an, on a, from a place of genuine curiosity and interest from a st- pretty stable, I feel self-reliant place. Yeah. And, and I think that really changed a lot of the trajectory because I think if I had met him 25 years ago, as confident as I was then for both of Don and myself, we both kind of thought how funny, like, what if we met 20 years ago? Like, I don't think it would have been the same story because he would have been using heroin and I would have been sort of codependently desiring, you know, making, worrying and making sure, you know, oh gosh, did, did I, am I doing everything okay? Like, am I doing it right? Or, or will, will he still see me tomorrow? Like, I, I remember that shell of my old self when I was in my like late 20s trying to establish relationships with men and not really knowing how to hold my own ground or what my own ground was. And I, and I, and I think that um, order of process does play a role in outcome um, and also being able to understand acceptance that we don't write our own story. We contribute to it. There are a multitude of factors, which is why the term adoption constellation was coined in the first place, because there's a multitude of factors that exist and orbit around as we are the center of our own but there's all the other floating pieces that are the center of their own and everything's orbiting. And what's in between is that matter, that, that the black matter, if you will, or like the space, the silence, the, 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 the air, whatever, whatever that is, it's not air, whatever that is that's in the universe, it's floating. Like that's what's connecting all of us to become the adoption constellation. So we're really just a small piece of a bigger thing. And I think that that, perspective and, and, and deciding, cause it's a choice to, to decide that, that that is where we fit in this big constellation. I feel that that helps limit the exorbitant pain that can take over, um, not to disregard the pain because there's going to be pain. Some adoptees are adopted because of rape. Some were taken away from their birth mothers because they were too young and the faith that they belonged to wouldn't allow for this wedlock dynamic. Some were invented in some circumstance. It was just impossible. The parents didn't have the tools or the skill set or whatever it was. There's a reason that came before us. And those reasons are just as valid as our journey as adoptees who don't know yet 
what our purpose and role is on this planet while we're here. But there has to be a big, bigger purpose and a reason from what I think. And, and every story is special and every individual is special and every adoptee has the constellation of their own. And I think that that's really important in terms of, you know, lesson, just to be open. And if we can't be open yet, why? To ask the question why, if we have a chance to listen to Don's take in the snippet, one of the biggest things he says is someone's got to raise you. That's what he said. Someone's got to raise you. If, 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 they, if the parents can't take care of you, maybe they didn't, he says, maybe they ran out of the supplies. Well, ask why. And, and if you don't get along with your adoptive family or you're not happy with where you ended up or whatever the reasons are, thank them for what they did for you, what they didn't, and go on and do your thing. I mean, that was his attitude. And that to me is what a beautiful thing. And he also thanked my adoptive parents who I call my parents, by the way, my, my semantics, I really intend, I'm really intentional with it. I called Don my birth father, the inventor of me or the Don. And I call my parents, my parents, my mom and my dad, because they adopted me when I was four and they gave me everything to help me grow into the person that I am today. Don gave me life. They gave me support and tools and a roof. And, you know, and so I, I like to honor everybody um, as best that I can. And that's why I choose to call Don my birth father. I mean, I've heard of the first parent, um, all those, all those semantics, I think are valid for each individual. That's the last, I think another like tool or lesson I would throw out here um, for this podcast is, you know, there is just no one way. There is just no one answer. There's not going to be a universal language and a universal outcome and a universal path and a universal storyline. There's just not. So what is the commonality? The fact that we all have the journey of evolution to discovering and developing our individual selves and what we can contribute to this world to make it a better place. And that to me is what I identify as resilient and, and hope to continue to do on my journey. And um, those would be the, the top lessons that I'd like to carry on. Yeah. 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 Do you think resilience is revealed or strengthened? That's a really great question. Um, probably both. I'd like to think, I like to err on the positive. And I'd like to say it's both because probably in the core of human nature and our wiring as beings, resilience is a part of that biochemical makeup for all of us. So I think the answer to your question is both. Okay. And well, by the way, it, it sounded it sounded like it's it, it sounded with what you just said that it's more like innate. I didn't I I, I didn't get anything there that was in the I, I, what you said to me right was sounded like it was more like it was revealed. I didn't hear anything in what you just said that seemed to me to be strengthened. Well, it was strengthened, I think, for me or Don, because I don't think Don identified himself as resilient innately, though he was. I think for him, it was strengthened over time 
So I just kind of liked to, I thought with the, the question, I loved your question. I just, I feel like it's both at the same time. I mean, I think resilience can be reinforced and strengthened for the rest of our life, but I think it's a core like piece of our biochemical makeup from the beginning, but it may need to be discovered, especially if there's a lot of hurt there. I mean, trauma and, 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 um, trauma to some serious degrees can overshadow some of our survival skill instincts and our resilience and our, because there, there sometimes can be such deep traumatic pain and challenges to work through first in order to rediscover the resilience that we have. And then to, then there is that active process of strengthening it really. So I do think the answer still remains that it's both um, from my perspective. And I guess I, I was going to say like, um, you're, where are you actually at the moment? Are you, what city are you in? I'm, I'm near, um, I'm near York, old York. I, I, I'm excited about that because in my biological navigational journey, um, I have learned about my maternal birth mother's lineage quite early on, Russia, Latvia, Poland of the Jewish nation, whatever. Um, but I never knew my birth paternal lineage ever. And I was always a singer songwriter, also working in like education with Jewish, Jewish education, but mostly a secular songwriter traveling and touring the world and writing and recording music and loving cowboy boots and cowboy hats and really not knowing why I had such a split. And I just wanted to say that when I found Don, I got to discover that our lineage goes far back from when, uh, like the Scottish, um, I don't know, married into the English of some sort. I don't know, some kind of history there. So we have like English descent from like Yorkshire area. Last name Logsdon, when we looked it up in like the family crest and who knows what's real and whatever. But, um, and our great uncle that was living at the time was like, oh yes, it's from like the Loxley area. Like, you know, they just, they came up with last names based on where the regions were back then. And so you have like English descent and, and then my birth grandfather and great grandfather, they had been in, um, Texas and um, Tennessee before my birth grandfather ended up migrating to California and starting the California lineage. Um, and I, and I remember, Oh, that's, 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 um, that's the dog going. Yeah. Rook. Uh, Ruckus is my dog. And then we rescued <laughs> for, for Don and Don named him Rook, like the chess piece. So they're ah, barking. Okay. Cool. But, yeah, so I was, I just, the punchline there was, oh, my cowboy boots and my cowboy hat, like, you know, they're, they're legit, they're justified, my Americana <laughs> makes sense, it's actually coming from somewhere, and online, there, there's a huge, like, there's a plethora of music that Don and I performed together, he was so generous to learn from his educational standpoint of never really finishing elementary school, junior high or high school, but getting like some kind of credits in prison at some point for, you know, when he was there, he learned guitar and he was a, a, a monster on guitar. I mean, he, he was amazing. And he had this amazing set of information in his brain that sometimes I would forget how much he knew and how great he was. And he would learn all my music when I wasn't around on guitar and bass and we would play together and perform together and for other people. Um, and that was just so profoundly exciting. Yeah. Um, but I want to throw out that like, Hey, I guess, you know, one day maybe I'll come to Yorkshire and York and wherever all these yeah. places are. Just, <laughs> this is, this is uh, did you say Loxley? Yeah. Okay. So um, you need to watch the Kevin Costner, Robin Hood film, right? Cause I, he, he, he calls himself Robin of Loxley. 
I know. I love that film. I know. I mean, I don't know how cheesy it is for the UK listeners, but I have a I, I, I have performed and toured through different areas of England and Scotland, but England specifically, um, and always felt an interesting sense of um, connection there, but didn't really know why. It was just sort of like, I don't know, I love to say like genetic DNA memory receptors kind of waking up when I'm breathing the air is somewhere else. And um, it's really exciting that you found me and in, invited me on your podcast and that we got a chance to, to you, you're letting me monologue on your, yeah. on your thing. Because um, I just think it's real. it's uh, the world is so small and it's just really, it's really neat. And then yeah. to find that you're there. It's so cool. I'm here. And it is nuts, right? Because I can't get the adoption uh, adoption agency in Leeds, which is 12 miles away from here, 15 miles away from me, to come on the show, right? Oh. Or the North Yorkshire one, or the South Yorkshire one. But here I am talking to you 6,000 miles away. And that's how nuts the world is, right? Yeah. Well, what are they, protecting some kind of, like, thing? I don't know. Yeah, I mean so interesting everyone's perspective and their legal protective clauses and who knows but I think um, what I, I did navigate your podcast so for any listener you know who's joining us today um you've probably had an opportunity to peruse um you know the podcast list more than I but um in in the event that you're still navigating and you're you know just happening to join on today while well, I've been fortunate to be a guest and thank you so much for having me there are so many amazing interviews um, on the website that you can also find on his Facebook and um, Twitter um, and, and sort of kind of navigate and hear other people's, you know, what, what they've learned, their lessons and, you know, how we as a, a, a team of voices can kind of inspire one another. I think it's a beautiful purpose that you yeah. have here. Thank you. And um, uh, Brian, you mentioned Brian Stanton, Brian and Jeanette, they've both been on the podcast so dig around for those uh ladies and gentlemen and also uh the snippet and the youtube we'll put all the links in the show notes so people can check out uh your don. your work and and what don uh, and what don says on this and uh thank you for being for coming on the show it's been it's been really good fun oh, I'm it has yeah you have it has been a bit of a monologue at times i've had less chance to share my, ask my questions than normal. Do you, more, been, do you have any more questions before we close? Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, oh, I, I had one thing for you, actually, yeah. Have you, in your world, did you hear the word, uh, have you come across the word confirmation bias? Have you come across that? Confirmation bias? Confirmation bias, yeah. So, <laughs> so essentially, like, that I asked you the question, is is resilience revealed or strengthened, right? So I believe it's revealed, right? So I, I believe it's already there. Yeah. Um, we're stronger than we think we we're, we are. Yeah. St- and that's why it's revealed. That's why I've been okay. But if we think it's strengthened, then we look outside ourselves. Oh, that's and funny. If- I, I, I kind of saw the question differently, so I didn't okay, understand. Cool. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Okay. 
Yeah. So if we look outside ourselves and we, it, it, we, we, uh, this is obviously it just, we're shooting the breeze about two, two guys, two, two adoptees opinions on the word resilience, right? So if we look outside ourselves, we're seeing that we're not, we're, that we're not enough. We, mm. we don't know enough, right? So you talked about um, something bigger than me. You talked about the, uh, the, the, uh, the healing and you talked about, you doing the work before you, your path was to do your own work before you went looking for Don. And I believe that's the, I believe that, you know, like, the, the, doing our own work first is the most most, most important thing. And to, to flip that around, I, I, I did speak to an adoptee who is an adoptee influencer. That's, that's called the adoptee and adoptee influencer. I'm not going to mention their name, okay? Mm -hmm. um, and they said about, they've been an influencer for a while, and they said something about starting therapy. And I thought, hmm, wouldn't you start therapy before you became an influencer? In the same way, and and that's what came to my mind. Like, if you're if you if you are thinking if you're an adoptee, thinking that you're not resilient enough, and you're thinking that you know finding somebody else outside you, you know, finding your biological father or, or, or biological mother is going to somehow make make you resilient. Uh, uh... Then then you're kind of you you you're kind of like. You put in the, the cart before the horse. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. I mean, that was one of the things that I mentioned in my monologue number three. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I, it was so, it pro I probably grazed over it quite quickly. Um, but I did say I wasn't looking for a father or mother to fill that hole. I was genuinely looking for a person to learn more about who they were than to find out more about myself, where I came from. Um, and that may have been because of the work that I did beforehand in terms of the order of things. But I will say one thing about what you just said about the therapy piece. Now, I was put in and out of therapy since my foster care years. It was kind of par for the course of like the journey. And I feel like at one point it was like my own personal fight club of getting free coffee around L.A. and meeting every therapist ever <laughs> and like finding out all the things almost like, you know, I should have my my doctorate by now. Right. Um, but. I remember a lot of times having an aha moment, not because I was discovering a new piece of information that I didn't know, but because I was able to articulate and place what I already instinctually kind of gathered with the outside information of the affluence from the therapy moment. Sometimes I was learning a new thing. Obviously, there's always new things to learn. We aren't just born with everything, although who knows, maybe we are. Um, maybe we're just remembering everything as we unfold our journey in this lifetime. We don't know. But um, but but I would just say that maybe things because for me, a lot of things happened out of order and maybe sometimes out of order does create our own individual process and who knows what the definition of influencer may be in the context of that particular adoptee because whatever they were doing in positive work form let's say in the moment that they were doing what they were doing they might have had one purpose 
and their personality and their, their, you know, we call it ruach, you know, was able to kind of like power through to be an influencer on that particular topic or sets of topics. But then as they've come to their journey and they're like, oh, I'm going to go to therapy now, it's possible that they might be filling in, in a sort of an out of order way, extra information for the new aha moments, less than them having not healed at all. And then being an influencer and then discovering the healing. We don't know for sure, because I think I had a lot of healing happen through spiritual guide or support before every therapy session gave me some information if they did at all. And sometimes I'd have therapy sessions where I'd be like, what is this BS? Like, this is not, this doesn't line up with me. And part of the journey of therapy, by the way, that I discovered as well, is it mirrors and models intimate relationships in and of itself. It's not just, here's a tool, or let me listen to you as you navigate through your emotional whatever, or here's an art therapy moment where you can craft through the feelings and connect the dots. Like, those are all part of therapy, but one of the bigger pieces of therapy from a distant perspective is how long do you stay with one given therapist during the hardest moments of your sessions? How consistent are you with them and them with you? And that is a model for a relationship. And when adoptees, not all adoptees, but for those who may struggle with intimacy, attachment style, connectivity, longevity, um, emotional stability, maybe we have you know, we need to develop a little more of an emotional tool set, um, or maybe it depends nature versus nurture, what happened in the womb, what happened in our adoption, what happened in the family we were adopted to at what age will be there, all these factors kind of make up each individual core self. And in a way, we're all kind of influencers, I think, by by what we choose to reveal or where we are in the journey of our seeking and our sharing. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, it's an interesting piece, I guess if somebody were to stand up and say, I'm an adoptee influencer about mental health and, and, you know, being stable and, 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 and all these things, but then they never once had one therapy lesson, it would be interesting to figure out how they chose to navigate that part of their, you know, framework for themselves. It'd be interesting. Um, but I don't even know, I didn't, I don't really know much about like adoption, adoptee influence. I don't even know. <laughs> I'm just the term but, you asked sorry you asked me about that term um yeah confirmation bias so it's 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 a confirmation bias is is basically what what the thinker think the prover proves so if if we if we think a certain way it it snowballs and 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 uh, and it can and that snowball can be going in the wrong direction Right. Is this a I'm that? <laughs> Do you know that? You know that book, I am that. No. Oh, it's a great book about like I am that. Like we think, therefore we are, or we aren't, or whatever. I all of a sudden was like thinking of Nietzsche as you were speaking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. It's it's just if if we, yeah. How how to sum that up? Um, well, like we. We, we 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 all struggle to see our own um, stuff, right? We struggle to see our own stuff, and and, and I believe that um, some things, some things, uh, most things in life can become self-perpetuating stuff, and that's what confirmation bias is. Uh, and so, if we 
it, so if we think that resilience is strengthened, then we're going to think that resilience is strengthened and we're going to continue to look outside ourselves rather than looking within and finding the strength that we've already had. So if we, you know, we can keep on going away further and further away from home base, right? Sure. And we get more and more lost. Um, and, 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 you know, a, a revolution is when we turn around and we look at ourselves, not at the world. Not at, you know, we, we have this thing in England called miserable weather. Have you heard of it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this, there's this idea in society, apparently, I don't know if you've noticed it, that the weather causes how we, we feel. Sure. I've been to Trafalgar Square in the pouring rain with all the birds on yeah. my... But I'm we're right. looking outside. We're looking outside ourselves. We're waiting. We're putting our happiness on hold till the sun comes out. And that's, right. what, that's what the Western world does. And that's, you know, I, I, I fall for that as well, right? But I, I kind of get wise to it. Um, and, uh, yeah. So that's by the by. Um, so I'm going to encourage listeners to check out the show notes and uh, and, and 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 listen into Don's amazing uh, wisdom on this stuff. Uh, and yeah. um, and thank you for coming on, Jenny. Oh, thank you. I was gonna. I just wanted to respond to one thing you said, which is that um, being that Don was the inventor of me or is the inventor of me, I've always been a person who will dance in the rain and around the sunlight. And um, I, once I found and met Don with our reunion, I could see that he was very much of the same, that even in the hardest, darkest moments, he never identified as a victim. He would sometimes say, oh, I had to turn myself into jails and prisons for food and just to have a bed and to rest and because I could play some music there and I wanted to, to do that. And he really took responsibility in very interesting, unique ways about how he unfolded his own life and chose drugs, that drugs didn't choose him. He wasn't a victim of addiction. Um, he chose to use, and in Don's take, there are many speeches where he talks about not just adoption and biological reunions, but he talks about homelessness and addiction. And the, the, the common theme that runs through his perspective, which is so inspiring, honestly, to me, is that piece, you know, dance in the sun and dance in the rain. Um, I love that, you know, the way that you, you personally, you know, frame the term resilience now that I understand what you meant, if, if I had to choose which way or the other, of course, yeah, then I, I, I yeah, I would choose um, the, the former. <laughs> so, but, uh, so there you got it, listeners. Resilience <laughs> is revealed. We just have right. to look within ourselves. And uh, I'm going to wrap it at, at that point, uh, Jenny. It's been, a, it's been a delight. Loved it. Thank you so much for having me. For anyone who's listening, I do go by Jenny Alpert, my legal name, and Cammy, my birth name. I have a website, JennyAlpert.com. We also will share the YouTube channel to hear more on Dawn's take. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today, and thank you for having me. Thank you, Jenny. <laughs> Speak to you all again very soon, listeners. Thank you. Bye-bye.